Hey y'all, welcome back to a Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. It is a Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and we appreciate you guys making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. John Taylor of Fangraphs.com stops by as he does at this time every single week to talk all things Major League Baseball. An absolute crazy, crazy trade deadline here on uh, this uh, Tuesday. Um, it was just wild. Juan Soto to the Padres. The Braves do a lot of good. Um, it just There was so much to talk about. Like It was just kind of overwhelming to uh, go through all the different moves that were made over the couple of hours that... Uh, um, they will be trade deadline uh, neared and all that good stuff. So it was it was a lot of fun uh, talking all things Major League Baseball with John because, yeah, a lot of movement. Like we talked Yankees, Montes, Astros, Mancini, Castillo, Mariners, Reds, Rockies, Tigers, you name it. We talked about it here on this edition of the program. Don't forget, folks, you can read me. I have a new piece on moving on from pro wrestling after a year of uh it was kind of a year of reflection on uh, just uh it not being a part of my day day-to-day life anymore so right about that that you can read over on sports renaissance man.substack.com so make sure you go check that out and all my other pieces over there and just type in your email become a subscriber today that easy that simple sports renaissance man that's me uh.substack.com as always you can email the program mailbag stuff any questions for me at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello welcome back to a really really fun Major League Baseball trade deadline rapid reaction podcast. John Taylor Fangraphs.com is here. John, good evening, sir. How are you? Good. Just crack them if you got them, man. 6 p.m. somewhere. It's Miller time. That was what I was expecting you to say right there. You had the Miller highlight that you were going to say. Can it's you, Miller time. So I thought I always thought Miller time was specific to either MGD or Miller Light, but that High Life, because it's got the whole champagne of beer thing, uh, um, that that you i mean i guess it could still apply i just always figured it's miller time was very specific to like two of their beers but not to their other beer that is that crazy i don't know i don't know i just think when you see miller i thought it was like one of those things where it's like if it's if you see a miller anything it's miller time time. yeah well it is it is currently miller time here so we couldn't do this uh five years ago when the when cleveland traded for andrew miller that would have been too easy was that five years ago now I was looking it up because Cleveland did nothing at the deadline. I was like, when's the last time Cleveland did something at the deadline? And granted, I, I was wrong on that one because not only did they have the Miller trade in 2017, then they also had that wild um, Trevor Bauer, Yasiel Puig trade yes. the year after that, or the year after that, I forget. And then the Mike Clevenger trade yes. the year after that, I think. No, it was, um, Miller was 17. Bauer was 18 and I believe Cle- or Bauer was 19 and Clevenger is 20 because he got traded after that whole uh, COVID dust up with him and Zach Plesak. 
Yes, that feels like uh, a lifetime ago. It really was. Um, that was early. That was early in the whole process. That was like an early, early. That was a, uh, that was a that was a mid that was a middle period. AJ Preller, uh, big move. Shout out to our guy AJ Preller. Yo, um, no one had a better deadline than AJ Preller today. Absolutely no one. Interesting. Yeah, well, let's start there. Let's start with the Padres. I think um, we're gonna we have our main hitters that we're gonna hit. We're not gonna talk about uh, Mr. Beasley getting moved uh, and the Pirates deal. I think that will be. I like know, how you, you say that. And, like no one listening to this is gonna have any idea what you're talking about. Everyone's just gonna be like, "Did he have a stroke mid sentence?" Yeah, like no. There for the real sickos out there who love our Major League Baseball talk, you can go find uh, that on Twitter.com if you'd like to get into the minutia of that. But, John, we had a gigantic trade that happened today. Um, We were talking last week and leading up to today, it seemed like the Cardinals were the favorite for Juan Soto and that he was going to end up somehow in St. Louis. And part of that was because they had a lot of major league talent that Washington was interested in, where Washington did not just want straight up all minor league farm system guys. They wanted some ready-made talent that they could plug in right now. Um, to not be an absolute albatross on the baseball diamond. But instead, A.J. Preller's like, well, I've done it before. I've really gone all in before, and it didn't work out. My man loves to go all in. I love it. I mean, A.J. Preller deserves a lot of credit. I think this ownership group deserves some credit because they have operated like they could have just played the whole small market thing. And we've heard about I mean, they've operated like the Rays for so many years. You go to the Burns era and just but the majority of our lifetime is just this is a very, very different way of going about their business. And mm-hmm. they're serious where you could have just been kind of push you could have been upset about just still chasing the Dodgers the Dodgers are still the kings of the NL you can't seem to catch them no matter how much you go all in you're like well we took our best shot we traded for you Darvish we traded for Blake Snell we signed Tatis we traded for Machado we did what we needed to do and it still is just not quite there we're gonna pivot a little bit like it's just not enough now they're like nope we're going to go. We're going to keep trying. We don't care for a wild card uh, this year. We are going to keep bolstering this thing. And we believe that because Tatis hasn't been a big part of this, we still could be the best team in the NL when he's ready to go and he's firing on all cylinders. So Juan Soto is a San Diego Padre. John, what do you make of the deal? Uh, how does this change the trajectory uh, this season for San Diego and going forward? And did the Nationals get enough back? in return for Juan Soto? So for me, Soto is obviously the best move at the deadline because he's not just the best player who was moved at this deadline. He's also probably the best player ever moved at a trade deadline, not just in baseball, but maybe like ever in any major American sport. Like this is a 23 year old who is already on a hall of fame track, who is basically a carbon copy of Ted Williams in his, in his early twenties the fact that he was available on its own is ast- is astounding. I still can't actually believe that the Nationals did this. Um, Sandy, Diego- the fact also, like he's like we said, you know, you're just saying San Diego for the entirety of our lifetimes and really the entirety of their existence pre the last uh, aside from the last few years has been just kind of the equivalent of like the carpet at a hotel. Just it's there and you never really notice it, and it's this weird brown color. But mm-hmm. for them to pull this off is astounding too. Especially when, you know, you hear all the stuff like, oh, the, it's like the, the big teams are the only ones who can make the moves. The Dodgers and the Yankees. But San Diego is as small market as it gets in baseball terms. Mm-hmm. It is a single sports city. 
um, that is never really run particularly high payrolls. They managed to do it anyway. Kudos to AJ Preller um, for basically having the balls to do it um, in a crude way of putting it. Like, I, I but don't also really get ownership, right? He had to sell ownership. Yeah, and that's and kudos to Padres ownership too. I mean, I I will be curious to see whether or not they actually do go forward with an extension for Soto at any point. Hmm. Um, they have really, really thinned out that farm system now in this chase, and not just that chase, but also in previous trades, and not this the, chase, uh, not for the not for the chase I'm talking to, mm-hmm. but a lot of chases um, involved here. But either way, it makes them obviously better for this season. The funny thing is, there's still 12 games back in the West. I don't really think that there's, barring a complete collapse on the part of the Dodgers or the Padres ripping off the greatest two month stretch in MLB history, I, I don't really see that gap cl- like being closed. I think the Padres are still a wild card team when mm-hmm. it's all said and done, which is kind of the funny part of this is that the impact, the biggest impact that Soto makes may not even be 2022. You know, there, there's only so much he can realistically do in a short series against whatever team the Padres get matched up on, you get matched up with rather in the wild card round. And there's only so much you can really do in the postseason as a whole. Granted, it obviously makes the lineup better. It makes the lineup deeper. An under, under, uh, underappreciated part of this too, is that they got, is the Padres got Josh Bell as part of this trade too. Replacing Eric Hosmer at first base, that is a massive upgrade offensively. As you noted, Tatis hasn't even been a part of this yet. So at some point, the Padres are going to roll out a lineup with Juan Soto, Fran- or, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Manny Machado all in it together, which is absolutely insane to think about. Um, yeah, I mean, we haven't we haven't run any updated playoff numbers yet after all the roster moves have been made, if only because we haven't even, I don't think, fully updated all our, our rosters yet at Fangraphs. But San Diego came into the into the deadline with an 85% chance of making the playoffs. I'd say those numbers are only going to go up, particularly when you consider that the Giants didn't really do anything to improve themselves and that their only real wild card competition in St. Louis and Philadelphia, I mean, I, they both did things, and I, I, I for the most part, I like Philadelphia's deadline a little better than St. Louis's, but obviously neither of them had the impact that San Diego had with their deadline. What's interesting, like I said, is going to be what the impact is in 2023 and beyond. The Padres have Soto now under contract for the rest of this year, next year, and the year after that before he hits free agency. Presumably they're going to talk to his uh, to Scott Boris repeatedly over the next whoever knows how long to see what it would cost to keep Soto in San Diego long-term. Obviously it's going to be more than the 15 years, $400 million that the nationals offered between that, the money they've already given Tatis, the money they still owe Machado. The fact that uh, the money they just gave Joe Musgrove five years, a hundred million dollars to keep him around long-term. The fact that their rotation now post 2023 um, is right now is Joe Musgrove and literally no one else they're going to have to make some tough decisions, I think, in the next couple of off-seasons to figure out how this all works together best. Uh, on top of that, Bell is a free agent at the end of the year, so they're going to have to figure out something long-term at first base as well. But I, it's really it's really hard to find fault with what the Padres did, though. Like, yeah, Are they going to miss some of these prospects? Almost certainly. Like, Mackenzie Gore is a very good pitcher. Robert Hassel and James Wood are very good outfield prospects. C.J. Abrams is a very good middle infield prospect. But the odds of any one of those guys turning into what Juan Soto already is and will be over the next two and a half years is what? 1% less than that. Half a percent, half of a half of a percent. You know, if you're the Padres and you are in that place where you are a solid contender, but you're still that one step below Los Angeles and maybe that one step below Atlanta and a step below Houston and a step below the Yankees, you need to do something with this current core. You need to do something 
I think while you still have Machado in his prime, while you still have Tatis in the early part of his career still 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 contributing, while you still have these pitchers that you have who are still, you know, in the in the you know, depending on who you're talking about in, in their in their either final good years or kind of middle good years or whatever you want to call it. You know, this is what a farm system is for. It's not just for replenishing the depth in, inside. It's for also for going out and getting established star players to make a contending team into a World Series team. And I don't know if I would necessarily call the Padres a World Series favorite after this. I, I think the Dodgers are still probably stronger overall, although I, I didn't really like their deadline on the whole. Um, and I think Atlanta also had a very, very good deadline. Uh, the Mets are also very strong. The Yankees obviously are very strong. The Astros are very strong. But this definitely, I think, puts the Padres way more in that World Series conversation. Again, not just this year, but also the next two years. As for the Nats, I mean, whatever. Like, to, to a certain degree, like, I mean, I'm not a prospect guy, so I can't tell you necessarily if they got enough. They what did got, the Fangrass folks inside? What have you heard inside? I mean, it's it's an enormous package of talent. It is five uh, top 10 players from within the Padres system, three top 100 players overall. Uh, and that's not including Gore, who was yeah. also a top 10 slash top 100 player before he graduated off our prospect list. It's a it's a ton, a ton of young talent. But again, like it's the same as, as the Padres side of things. What are the odds any one of those guys becomes even a tenth as valuable as Juan Soto? Hmm. Like it, it, it's you have taken the surest thing in Major League Baseball, which is an under 25 star position player and gotten rid of him for a bunch of lottery tickets. All because you didn't feel like paying that that superstar what he was worth, and to me, it's I mean, like it, I still don't know if I one thousand percent believe he would have taken that. I'm still not there. I, mean, look, I, I don't. But know. The, I mean, if I also agree that I don't think Soto was going to resign or sign long term with this version of the Nationals. Yes. but the Nationals can only blame themselves for that one. Like, but they won him a title. About, like getting to this point, they won him a title. Um, they won a title, but the, the problem is they they took that title winning team and they decided well, we'll roll with them for a little bit longer. And if it doesn't work, then we're apparently just going to blow it all up to hell. I, the Ruben Amaro post Phillies championship run. Yeah, my, my feeling is I would have rather had Soto for the next two and a half years and tried to build around him than given up on him for five guys who may, I mean, the problem with that though is like Soto has to, to like done. enjoy that. Like Soto is not signing on for like 300 games. Right, but that's of, the thing. That's why you have to build around. You have to say, Hey, we're going to resign Josh Bell to a deal. We're going to go out and get some help. We're going to do like, and again, the Nationals only have themselves to blame for being in this spot. You know, they didn't yeah. they, they didn't prioritize keeping that core together. They didn't prioritize spending when they should have. They just let their farm system go completely to hell. I mean, the, the, this they is also got, like there were certain things where it's like people are going for certain things. But I'm like, look, I think the Scherzer thing, they were probably right on um, Harper. They should have paid Harper. That was the one where it was like those two probably should have just stayed as an like you just you, you pay Harper whatever you want. Like you're like he was the centerpiece of a title team. Um, Strasburg, the injury stuff that kind of screwed them in another way. Patrick Corbin, like we thought I mean, it was yeah, kind of a crazy. They this, did. I mean, but I guess I guess that's the thing. It's like in in retrospect, would the Nationals have been better off investing the money they gave to Steven Strasburg, just for example, in into paying part or some of a long term deal for say Trey Turner or yeah. Juan Soto? Like, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think. On the surface, I don't know if any of us said at the time, oh, that's a terrible decision to give Steven Strasburg that money. But, I mean, he wasn't, he is, has been, will be an injury-prone pitcher who has always struggled to stay healthy. 
I don't know. I, you could you would have you. There are a million decisions you can trace backwards as to the how the Nationals the, ended up where they are. Well, like the Astros make this look easy, right? Where they just let their bet like Correa. All right, you're walking and we have this guy ready to take over right after you. And we're we have this rule where it's like once you get to a certain point, we're not paying you like we we have this idea like how this works is there's going to come to a certain point where it's like we're not giving you that long term deal when you get to this point. Like that's not happening. That's not how we roll. Um that's great, but every other team can't do that. And they've just done an amazing job at just finding and develop talent and just to continue being a contender while also having a top five farm system has spoiled them. And I think, I don't know, I just don't think that can work for everybody. And I just, I think, unfortunately for DC, I think if they, if Rizzo, I would love to get him on the pod and just pick his brain on this because I bet you if we got him on and we were like, hey, if you could do it all over again, what would you have changed to not find yourself in this spot? I would guess he's like probably get the uh, the learners on board with whatever Harper wants. We keep Harper. We keep Turner. We lock in Soto earlier. And then like the pitching we'll figure out. We can trade and figure that stuff out. But like we have to lock in our cornerstones and we can just continue year over year try and figure it out. Because I think Soto is a lot more uh, comfortable if Harper's still there because he has protection. Like those two middle of the order, long-term uh, star guys. Um, you Turner obviously in that category as well. I don't know. I think there was probably a way and it's not as great of a look in a major market like DC to continue letting these guys move on, especially those younger guys like Scherzer and Strasburg. And, and, and I don't know. Thing. Like it, it's, it's one thing if you're, if you're like, okay, Max Scherzer is a pending free agent. We're bad mm-hmm. this year. We've got to get something in return for him. And they did, you know, and also with Turner, although I, it really does feel like Turner was added as sweetener when it's like yeah. Max Scherzer alone should be enough. And like, I think the writing was on the wall once the Nationals moved Turner that mm-hmm. they were not going to be in the business of handing out long-term deals for quite some time, whether that's because they were burned by Corbin and Strasburg, whether that's because they there were already rumblings that the Lerner family wanted to sell and that they didn't want to be saddled or that they didn't want to have uh, long-term contracts on the books um, for whoever bought the team going forward. I don't know. I mean, I, again, they're, they're, You'd have to trace it back a long way to get to specifically why the Nationals are where they are. And yet, to a certain degree, this was a corner that they they backed themselves into this particular corner and had no other way of getting out other than trading Soto. Yeah. And I understand it in that regard, but obviously it's awful for fans in D.C. It is awful for the franchise as a whole. This team is going to be completely irrelevant for the next who knows how many years. Um Yeah, I mean, yeah, they got some good prospects. I, I kind of feel bad for Luke Voigt that he just has to go be there now and just... I, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the pod, the Nationals just do him a favor and cut him, but or maybe he shows out and he's like an All Star next year. Who knows? That would be Everyone very funny. Gets a representative, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's the Nationals did the best what, of, for what they could, but they also put themselves in this position in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's why I'm just I'm still so surprised that they did it because that's the other thing they didn't have to do this if they had just said you know what let's wait till the off season and I I don't necessarily know if they would have gotten the same return in the off season. But there, there was no push necessarily to do this in terms of he's gone in the offseason. If we let him walk, we're only going to get a draft pick. I don't know. I, it's just hard for me to – I guess that's the weird thing about trying to grade a trade like this because on the one hand, you can say, yeah, the, the Nationals got some great prospects. Their farm system is a lot stronger now. They have far more uh, young cost control players that they can use to build a core around. On the other hand, they just gave up a 23-year-old superstar who is probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. That's that's so hard to accept as a necessary reality here. This isn't the Orioles trading Trey Mancini, you know, where it's like that hurts, 
but you can at least understand why. This mm-hmm. is something where the only reason it's happening is because of a bunch of bad decisions made by people in the past who now, I mean, and that, that's it's the other part of it too, is like these same people are now being trusted with, like that's kind of the other thing. It's like Mike Rizzo is not going to be the general manager of this team going forward next year. Whoever buys this team, if the learners do indeed sell, is going to put in their own general manager with their own new front office and whatever else. In that sense, it's kind of weird to leave it up to the current Nationals brain trust to kind of decide what the future Nationals will look like when they won't even be a part of it. It's very much that Magic Johnson, I'm not going to be there uh, mm-hmm. moment when he quit the Lakers. Like, And I, not, not to say that I think Rizzo made a – again, I don't think Rizzo made a bad trade. I think they got good prospects back. I I would love to know what other teams' offers were, like genuine offers were. Um, it seems like the Dodgers and the Cardinals were obviously involved. Um, it seems like pretty much every team checked in at one point or another. But, yeah, it, it's – I think just on the whole, it is a huge bummer for Washington. It is a huge bummer for those fans. Take a look at that lineup they're running out tonight against you know, one of the most buried stories of the day now, Jacob deGrom's return. That lineup is AAA at best. It's one of the worst major league lineups I've ever seen in my life. Like This is what Nationals fans are going to be subjected to the next two and a half months and next season two and the season after that while they're waiting for these young guys to get up and produce. And it's it, it sucks. It really sucks. Like They don't deserve that. And it's really fascinating to see how a team that just, you know, cruised to that, not cruise necessarily, but, the, you know, that won that World Series title t- two and a half years ago has already been completely dismantled, you know, including the guy who by all and by um, for all. Sorry, who including the guy who really should have been the long term part of it going forward. And you're right. He probably didn't want to be there with the way this team looks, but the Nationals can only blame themselves for that one. That's their fault. No one else's. Yeah, well, we'll see what ultimately happens. I think it's better for, but you know what's cool? Juan Soto playing playoff baseball. Like, that's the other way. No, that's great. I mean, that's great. That's the flip side of this. San Diego Mm -hmm. fans should all be, it does not matter what you gave up to get Juan Soto. You have Juan Soto now. That lineup is stupid. Well, that team is legitimately a World Series contender now. Padres fans should be just, they should be getting blackout drunk in celebration tonight. Well, I think it's like, I just I'm thinking about the playoffs and I think this postseason is just going to be a bloodbath like we said at the top of the show now I mean the Braves beef things up the Mets we'll get to in a second uh, but they're still a great team and we'll see health permitting where they're at but you look at Mets Dodgers Padres um, Brewers Cardinals Braves Phillies I guess a little bit too but then you go out west and or in the AL and you look at the Yankees Astros um, Twins at Blue Jays and you go through and you're like you can make a case for a lot of these different teams mm-hmm. making a World Series run. You can make the case. So it's like the Padres took a big step where it's like, I hope I hope the pieces that are already put being written in drafts in their Google Docs of like, this is why you don't go all in or what a failure. No, if the, Padres, it, the hell with none, that. If, 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 you, if the Padres if the do pa- not win a World Series in the next two years and they lose Soto, that does not mean this was not the right thing no, to do. No, this was still the right move for them. Because the goal of the the goal of a ba- of being a major league baseball team is to win the World Series. It's not mm-hmm. to have the best farm system. It's not to have the most efficient dollar per war roster. It's not to you know win the most games with your young core. It's not any of that stuff. It is winning a World Series. And the Padres put themselves in a better position to do that by getting Juan Soto. And it's worth noting too of all the teams you mentioned, the only team I think that made a or that made or that that made upgrades that I think significantly improved them was probably the Yankees. Hmm. Um, I think the Astros did some good stuff. I think the Braves did some good stuff, but I think of those, of those like solid world series teams, I think the Yankees probably had the best deadline. 
if only because, you know, they get Frankie Montes, who was the best pitcher still available at that time. They, they figured out their outfield situation by getting Andrew Benintendi. They managed to get something of value for Joey Gallo. The one move of theirs I don't really get is the Jordan Montgomery trade, hmm. uh, flipping him for Harrison Bader. Center field is, I guess, a position of need in New York. It kind of has been for a good while now, but... You can't rely on Aaron Hicks. No, but like Bader isn't going to be back uh, on the field until probably some point in September because he's dealing with plantar Mm -hmm. fasciitis in one of his feet that's kept him out since June. That is not an injury that necessarily just goes away like easily. You know, that that's something that can recur. We've seen like Chris oh, we can Bryant get my grandmother really on the phone for it. this. Anyone we can get her on to talk about some plantar fasciitis. It's not but, pleasant. Um, and it's strange, too, because rotation depth was something that New York, if you if you wanted to identify a, a potential problem area with the Yankees, uh, rotation depth probably would have been one of them. And giving Montgomery up is kind of strange in that regard. I mean, there's. They, I mean, certainly New York can just plug in Domingo Herman if they would like, or they could uh, turn to Clark Schmidt down in the minors. But I, I don't really, I don't. Herman does not look like the same pitcher to me that he was uh, before his suspension and before his various injuries. Uh, Schmidt obviously is, you know, rather untested. I, I'm not. I don't think Montgomery is any great shakes, but I think he was a very useful back of the rotation starter who could give you a pretty good five, five or six innings every given night or any given night rather. I'm almost curious if New York thought it had a deal lined up for another starter right as the deadline was running out and just something mm-hmm. didn't come through. And I do wonder oh, if you know was. who it was. I bet you I know who it was. Run down. That I think, I think Carlos Rodon may have been one of them. I also think I saw there were rumors that the Yankees were interested in Pablo Lopez and talking to the Marlins about him. I wonder if Brian Cashman got a little ahead of himself and thought that there was a chance to pull one of those off and figured, well, I need to clear a rotation spot. Let me move Montgomery. Mm. ultimately it's probably not going to matter Montgomery wasn't going to be an impact guy in the postseason anyway he was almost certainly going to be reduced to you know being a uh, two times through the order starter or maybe a a long reliever but it it is a little curious especially because with Montes he's a great starter but coming off the shoulder injury coming off a shoulder about of shoulder inflammation you know you you can't be a hundred percent sure that he's a hundred percent healthy he's not a guy Mm. I think that can necessarily carry a huge load on top of that Luis Severino they just put on the 60-day injured list because he is uh, still not fully healthy. So it, it's a gamble, um, especially because, again, Bader is not someone who's going to be able to help them probably for at least a few weeks, if not a month. But if nothing else, they'll have Bader under control for next season to help kind of solidify the outfield a bit, give them a little insurance in case Aaron Judge does walk, that they don't have to go out and kind of... I'm, I'm not saying he replaces him, but they don't have to go out and remake the outfield. I don't know if outfield. Harrison Bader is 100%. Uh, he's he's <laughs> definitely the one for one. You know, every Yankees fan saw this like, oh, there's our Aaron Judge replacing. We're fine mm. now. I mean, I, truthfully, like, I, I don't know if the Yankees were ever going to really be in on Juan Soto um, because of the judge situation. Yeah. I think it would have, like we've talked about, it would have created a scenario where it's like if you trade for Soto, then that means judge is 100% gone. Mm-hmm. I think they want to keep judge, especially because, you know, with the season he's having, the, the, the production he's capable of offering. Um, I think Soto probably would have cost the Yankees more prospects than they would have liked, especially because it seems like they are hell-bent on keeping Anthony Volpe, no matter literally what is available out there. But I really did like what New York did this deadline. I think they strengthened themselves as one of the two best AL or one of the top two AL contenders with Houston being the other. And I like what Houston did, too. I think Christian Vasquez is a really nice pickup uh, to help take some of the load off Martin Maldonado, who, you know, still a great defender, but really can't hit and is, I believe, like 37 at this point. So you could, you know, the the less you the less you have to play Martin Maldonado, the better. Um, I like getting Trey Mancini, who I think fills a very good uh, uh, who fills a need for them at first base and who is going to be 
abusing the Crawford boxes out in left field when he plays in Houston. Uh, I also like that they didn't really have to give up a whole lot to get either of those pieces. You know, they gave up some for Vasquez. They gave up two prospects kind of toward the back end of their system for uh, for Mancini. They gave up uh, a, a player in Jose Siri who has plenty of tools, but has not really kind of put them together and did not really seem to be on the good side of either Dusty Baker or the Astros as a whole. So I, I really like what they did. But yeah, I, I otherwise like I, that's kind of the thing. Like you look at the Dodgers and they they kind of they kind of stood pat this during this deadline for whatever reasons. You know, you look at uh, the NL Central teams. You can argue that the, the Brewers went backwards by moving Josh Hader. The Cardinals did what the Cardinals always do, which is just to go get two bore to go get some boring left-handed <laughs> starters who don't strike anyone out. So I I don't really think that the that the pennant winner was coming out of the Central anyway. But I, I don't really see those odds having improved after the deadline. Obviously, the Padres made the biggest move. And is there I mean, more, a more risk averse division than the NL Central? No, Brewer- the, the NL Central is one endless in, one endless insurance policy. Nobody actually <laughs> wants to try anything there. Um, but yeah, but I also I guess the the other team I really like deadline wise the Braves. I really liked what Atlanta did this. Now time. we're talking. Um, I think Jake Odorizzi. Well, hold on, can we hold on? Let's hold on the okay. Braves for a second. Let's, right, hold, okay. on. let's, let's hold on. Let's hold on because uh, I did want to ask more about the Astros because we talked about the Yankees a lot sure. and Mancini's now there. Yes. I'm curious, like, does it move the needle enough? Because everything this year has been Astros versus Yankees and how they match up in a in a seven-game series. Like, when you look at what the Astros did and what the Yankees ultimately did, did the Astros do enough? Does Mancini make a lot of sense? Does he move the needle enough for them? And what Houston ultimately... Do you think Houston was ultimately bold enough to ensure that they're right there with the Yankees? Uh, I think so. Okay. I think so, because I think that offense is really good... Um, I think adding Mancini obviously helps. First base, like I said, was one of their few kind of problem spots there. Yeah. With Yuli Gurriel kind of declining. Um, Mancini will obviously. He's too likable. We're sending my guy. Like, the, to say. I mean, Mancini I feel bad for Houston. Orioles fans. I really feel yeah. bad for Orioles fans. Like, especially because, the, I mean, granted, the Orioles did get a decent pitching prospect out of that from Tampa because mm-hmm. it was a three way trade. Albeit a guy who's about to go under the knife for Tommy John surgery. So well, also, a pitching prospect in Baltimore is just never. Hey, they've, uh, they've the, made the, changes. They have made changes. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 but I think there, t- if you wanted to point out two issues that the Astros had, I think going to the deadline was they're not getting anything out of catcher beyond mm-hmm. what Maldonado provides defensively and as a game caller. They're not getting anything out of first base because Gurriel has finally, you know, time has finally caught up with Yuli Gurriel. I think they addressed both of those at a pretty low cost. Um, would I have liked to see maybe, uh, some additional pitching moves made? Perhaps I mean, as unless there's an Astros. Well, they do a Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi. That's right. They did get Will Smith. It's fine. Weird. Well, it's just weird. You don't really see. He's an arm, and like, look, I've seen a lot of Will Smith in the last couple years. He's shaky. He's not bad. He's going to frustrate Houston fans, but he's also not going to be bad. Like, no, I mean, and then well, the other part going to have some IBS issues when you're watching Will Smith. (laughs) Like, you're just going to have. Some moments where you're like, I just, I the bowel situation is not great with him in my life. I, well, I don't, the, there's the the other part of that too is I can't imagine Smith as a guy who's going to be using high leverage at bat or in high leverage plate appearances. Um, the the top three of Presley, Montero, and Norris is is you know that's Dusty Baker's go to for those moments, which kind of scary on its own. Um, I guess the other thing you could argue is prior to that trade, the Astros really had nothing going in the way of left handed relief help. Yeah. Um, they lost Blake Taylor back in early June you know, and Josh or Josh James isn't a lefty, but they lost Blake Taylor. So Will Smith now kind of uh, slots in as a, as a big lefty for them, which 
I mean, depending on, you know, who they end up facing could definitely be, um, is definitely a piece that they could use. Um, I guess the, the only other thing, if you're looking at Houston is, you know, I, I, I don't think moving Odorizzi was a bad thing for them. I, I think he's more just kind of, I think he's more useful to the Braves than he is to the Astros. But I do wonder how they feel about um, what they're going to have to ask out of Christian Javier and Luis Garcia in particular down the stretch. Um, I'm surprised they guys, didn't want uh, Ian Anderson in part of this. Like we can also just throw you I, in I Ian just, Anderson. I don't. I think Ian Anderson is one of those guys where you'd probably prefer getting him in the offseason so you have some time to, to kind of figure mm-hmm. out, okay, what's wrong? Let's work on some stuff, et cetera. He's not a guy you want to pick up during a, a, in, a in a pennant race because you're not really – you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Although it's also worth noting, too, uh, Lance McCullers will be back hopefully at some point in the next couple weeks. Uh, he's missed the whole season to date with elbow pain, uh, but he seems to be healthy now. He's made some rehab starts, so he'll obviously provide a boost to that rotation as well. So I, I imagine with that in mind, the Astros probably felt they didn't need any pitching help. So, yeah, I, I really like what they did, too. Um, I think they made themselves stronger. And I think it really I think the the AL really is going to come down to either the Yankees or the Astros, which granted, I would have said that before the deadline anyway. But I think that I think uh, the deadline has kind of reinforced it because the, in terms of the other AL contenders, I think really only Seattle and Minnesota made themselves appreciably stronger Toronto with Whit Merrifield is a really big question mark that I, I'm not even really sure how to feel about that trade uh, for a variety of reasons. But I, I think Seattle and Minnesota are the only other AL teams that really made significant moves at this deadline. Seattle really just kept it to Luis Castillo, which I kind of wish they'd done a little more, but I can also understand that you know they feel probably very pretty secure in a playoff spot right now, and there's no real chance of them catching Houston in the, in the West. Uh, well, speaking of, I missed the stuff with the uh, Julio. Is it been announced yet? What he actually has? Oh, he's fine. It it seems okay. like his wrist is just sore. He just got plunked okay. on it, but it doesn't seem to be anything serious. Because um, I would look, I was looking for like a twenty four hour time period, and I was like, okay, they're still waiting results on what's going on. And I was like, all right, uh, we need to find out what's going on with Julio Rodriguez. Yeah, I, he needs I think to be protected at all costs. I mean, I definitely think if they're if the Mariners had made a move for like for a substantial move for an outfielder, like if they traded for say Jock Peterson or someone or, mm. or someone like that. Yeah. Then I think it'd be, it would be time to worry about Julio Rodriguez because that's, that would be a sign that something is actually not good there. But well, that's the thing is like their lineup's fine. Like that was the whole thing. I think Castillo, make, yeah, I think Castillo was the piece they had to add. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could, again, I can understand that they didn't want to necessarily do more if only because you know they're not going to win the West, they're pretty locked into a post into a wild card spot right now. I think their postseason odds have to be somewhere above eighty five percent. I think. Who do they not want to play if they get matched up with that? Like who who do they not match up the? Wait, who do they match up the worst with? In a <sighs> That's a good series? question. I don't I don't know. Um, Mariners are postseason odds at seventy one point seven percent. By the way, that's the. Uh, best of any that's a, the second best odds of a wild card team right now blue jays are at 97.3 i i don't know if only because you know i, I they're a pretty solid team all the way around yeah um, i think any team with a really good pitching staff will probably give them trouble but that's going to be the case for pretty much everybody good pitching staff beat teams all the time yeah. so yeah and, and i guess that's the other thing there you could argue maybe you know should the mariners have pushed really hard for soto sure why not were they yeah, did they have the piece like, to get soto yeah. You got your no. Soto. You got Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Like you're just not everyone can do what the Padres do and just acquire all the, the young superstar talent. Like you can be a really good team. And I think, like you said, Luis Castillo was a really good uh, trade. I also, if I was, when you look at what the return was for Frankie Montas, like that's probably where I would have been. Like I would have double dipped there. I would have, I mean, I don't know if they would have traded in division or any of that matters, but I don't, I don't think the A's would have cared about that. Yeah. Especially because Montas is a free agent after, um, 
I believe, is this season. Yeah, it's this season. So he, sure. he wasn't going to be a long-term ad in Seattle. That's why he but made given, it in Seattle, too. But like, given Seattle what the Yankees had to give up for Montes with a very good pitching prospect, a very good pitching prospect in Ken Waldachuk, another very good pitching prospect in Luis Medina, a useful back-of-the-rotation guy in J.P. Sears, I don't know that Seattle had the prospect capital to do both of those trades because they hmm. gave up a lot for Castillo, too. Noelve Marte is a top-10 global prospect, uh, shortstop of the future in Cincinnati if everything goes right. Um, Cincinnati among the sellers, I thought, yeah, I mean, I don't want to commend necessarily the Reds because they're here for a reason. And that reason is Bob Castellini is a cheap scumbag. But (laughs) on the other hand, they got a good haul for, they got a good haul for Castillo. Uh, they got a good haul for Tyler Melee from the twins. So it's going to take me a second to get over just like on one hand. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to give props to teams that are in this place. You certainly don't have to hand it fault. to him, folks. I am not going to hand anything to Bob Castellini. <laughs> but I think Cincinnati did well in the prospects they got. I think they've done a really good job adding some depth to a farm system that really needed it. Um, but yeah, I, I but I think I, they I think, did better than the Nationals did at the deadline. I mean, they got more overall. I think yes, if only because Castillo and Melee were not going to be part of the future for a good Reds team. Whereas you could still make the argument that Soto, at the very least, is young enough and good enough that he should have been the future of any good Nationals team. Um, well, here we go. I got a question for you in terms of this, because this is a good way of like framing the, the kind of losers of this. Okay. Is where we talked about the Reds a little bit, um, but I want to get your perspective on this. So when you look at the Reds, the Nationals... We got to throw the Rockies in here. The Rockies, the Rangers, the Tigers, Royals, and Orioles. Who were the most perplexing? Who did the most weird stuff today or stuff that really drove you nuts? Well, the Rockies literally did not make a single deadline trade. They're the only they team lock to make a that trade. Extension I am, with uh, our with Dan, their only move was to give a two-year extension Daniel to their Bard. 37-year-old close. <laughs> The Rocky, I, I, what is he even to say about the Rockies at a certain point? They just don't do things the way everyone else does. They are, a, they are operating purely on vibes. Like <laughs> analyzing their decision making is pointless. They're going to do whatever they feel like, however they feel like. Like they may not even may not even have known there was a deadline today. There's a good chance everyone just showed up to work and was like, "Hey, isn't there something happening today? Something kind of big." Yeah, whatever. We got a double header. Let's just focus on that. So I, the Rockies just stand on their own perpetually. I, I have no idea whatever to make of them, except from the fact that they are just permanent, permanently locked in like 2003. Um, I don't really get yeah. the Rangers hanging on to Matt Moore or Martin Perez. I mean, I can understand hanging on to Martin Perez because he's been not just a valuable pitcher for them, but also seems like a valuable mentor for their young guys. He very much seems like someone who wants to be there. I can understand that. Matt Moore, I think, is someone who could have gotten something decent in return as a reliever. Kind of surprised they didn't move him. Detroit's total lack of inaction or total lack of action is really surprising. I mean, they move Robbie Grossman, they move Michael Fulmer. They don't really get much in return for either of them. I don't know that there was a whole lot on this roster that they could have moved for anything. Detroit's problem really is that the the first kind of wave of that rebuild has just not panned out so far. And they'd already gotten rid of pretty much every useful veteran they could get their hands on. And the veterans that theoretically would have had value, guys like Javi Baez or Eddie Rodriguez or um, Jonathan Scope or, you know, whoever else, not really, you're not going to get anything for those guys right now. So 
I think Detroit's hands are a little tied, but that's that points to a bigger problem in Detroit, which is that team just feels terribly constructed right now and pretty poorly run. Um, Baltimore, they broke hearts, as Baltimore will always do with this kind of stuff. I get it. I, I understand the Jorge Lopez trade a little less than the Mancini trade. I mean, Mancini, at least, he's a free agent at the end of the season. If you really want to bring him back, you can bring him back. I'm sure he'd be yeah, happy. Yeah, they to say come that, but they just more. that. I forgot someone who did a whole ex, like explainer on that. Where that's always like when we say, that sounds good, and then they never do it. Like no one. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. That. I'm not exactly banking on it. Lopez is someone yeah. I, I'm a little more confused by because he was still under contract for another two years. Mm. He definitely could have been a useful piece for the Orioles going forward, especially because it looks like the Orioles are finally at a place where they can genuinely contend, or at least they're be, 500 in August. Raise yeah, the banner. A good team. And mm-hmm. I think it's a little, I, I think it also just sends a pretty shitty message to the fans that, you know, Mike, Michael Elias is out there talking about, we're not at the, we're not at the point in the schedule where we want to contend yet. And it's like, my dude, like this is not a train table. This mm-hmm. is not something where you can predict with a hundred percent accuracy that by the time like July, 2023 rolls around or whatever, you're, you're now is the time to strike. It's like, there's it's always a time to strike if you're actually good, especially when you yep. don't really have that much competition in front of you. Would a would a wild card run and a first round exit in the playoffs have done anything for Baltimore's future calculus? Probably not. No. Is it better for them to get uh, semi useful prospects that may turn into something or could be used to acquire better pieces down the road? Sure. But there's plenty to be said about letting fans enjoy something instead of instead of immediately being like, it's so nice that we have this. It's not good enough yet. We're getting rid of the guys you like, you know, yeah. it's 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 but that's because I, I mean, mean you I look don't... at the fans right now and I mean, I was watching some of those. Uh, I mean, just seeing some of those games and you're just like, oh, the fans are coming back. The fans, yeah, the are, fans are excited. It. And I think I think the for the most part, Orioles fans have, have accepted and understood that, you know, this is how things are going to be with this particular front office. I still think it's a bummer, even though I, I understand it. Um, what were the other sellers you mentioned? Uh, we had, uh, the Royals. Well, the, I mean the, well, the Whit Merrifield trade, I, I mean, I, I only just glanced at the return. It seems fine. He just doesn't they, move the needle. I don't know. Really and like the, the time for them to move Merrifield was years ago. Like yeah. this is, this is just them doing something they should have done a while ago. Again, the, the Royals are a team like the Rockies, where I don't really ever understand what they're up to at any given point, because they also feel like a team that just has not evolved along with the rest of baseball. So whatever at this point with them, um, is the I, Cubs a bullying work situation with Wilson <laughs> Contreras and Ian Happ? That, it that feels like be, that, right? That might be the move I understand least. Um, I, I guess that's the flip side of the Mancini one, which is it's nice that Cubs fans will get to say, uh, uh, if, if this is the end of, for Wilson Contreras in Chicago, they'll get two more months with him before he says goodbye. And if nothing else, this leaves the door open that they can resign him. They can give him an extension. You know, if the if the Cubs decide, you know, hey, there's not really a catcher we feel great about either within our system or on the free agent market or that might be available in trade. Let's keep this guy around. Keep the dialogue open. We'll keep all op- our options available into the winter. But it's kind of it, it's hard to understand, given where the rest of that team is right now. I mean, on the one hand, you don't want to move Wilson Contreras. But on the other hand, you're more than willing to move a, a good reliever with five years of team control for a guy who might be a back of the rotation starter. Yeah. I mean, not to say that a rebuilding team should necessarily keep a reliever like Scott F. Ross, who is, you know, he's a very limited, he has very limited utility and value for, for a, a non-contending team. But if you're a non-contending team, then you sh- it's one of those, there's no half measures thing. If you're a non-contending team, then you're a non-contending team. You should, you should get what you can for the pieces that aren't going to matter for the future. Like that is the cold, hard calculus. And I know it's, it's it kind of sounds weird to say on the one hand, like, 
boy, does it suck for Baltimore and, 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 and DC and all these other teams that they give up and just trade away these players and whatever. But like, if you're already at that place, which is where the Cubs are, and I don't think there's anyone who has, who's under the impression that the Cubs are like two moves away from contending. This is a bad team that has looked really bad this season and where the future is still, I think, at least a couple years away in a lot of cases. Then what are you really hanging on to Contreras for? Kind of similarly with Ian Happ, although a bit less so because he's under contract for next year. I don't really understand how there wasn't, I think, I don't know, maybe maybe the, maybe the offers weren't good. Two. Maybe they yeah, really just the weren't thing. great. Maybe, maybe they were shopping those guys all around the league and nobody was particularly interested. I find that a little hard to believe, particularly with Contreras, that there was no team at all out there willing to give up um, anything for him. Although maybe they looked at what Christian Vasquez got in return and were like, you know what? That's not really going to move the needle for us. We might as well just keep him. If he walks, we get a draft pick that's probably not going to be much worse than what we would have gotten in a trade anyway. True. You know, we, we keep some goodwill with our fans. We, we keep the door open to bring him back if we really want to. So I, I do find it a little confusing. I guess it's not the it's not the most inexplicable thing, but it is a little hard to understand, given the rest of their moves in um, in context. Yeah, I also just they're a tough one to talk about, because I remember talking to ESPN's Jesse Rogers a few minutes back about the Cubs and like. Carlos Correa being an option next year is like definitely in play and like a long-term sure. mega deal like there. Okay, fine. I, I guess like, well, that's the thing is like Chicago could be big spenders this winter and that like, wouldn't be surprising. I'll believe like they it could when just I see it at this point, that's the thing. Like I'll believe yeah. it when I see it, like the, the Ricketts have not spent in six years. That's the thing. Not like, just, will not they just, spend? I don't not know. Just not spent, but also dismantled the world series winning core of that team in the process. But would you be blown away if they were buyers this winter? I wouldn't like, I mean, it, not necessarily. I would just find it kind of weird that after, especially cause they didn't, you know, I, I know that, you know, they got a, they got a really good prospect in Pete Crow Armstrong mm. for Baez last season, but the rest of that, the rest of those returns have not really amounted to much so far. And the moves they've made since have not really, I think shifted the calculus all that much in the positive for the future. Like, Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, like those aren't guys who are really going to, you know, if they sign Correa next year, those guys will help. But like, there's still a lot more that this team needs. You know, that bullpen is, is, is quite frankly, awful. That's the last thing you do. Yeah, that's true. But like being awful, that's whatever. But there's, I mean, I I think if you're the Cubs and you're trying to, you're trying to make sense of it, it's like, okay, well, you know, we like Justin Steele and, and Keegan Thompson have looked very good at times in the rotation. Um, like I said, they've got Pete Crow Armstrong down in the minors. They've got some more interesting guys down there. Um, you know, there are some pieces like Nico Horner and Ian Happ who... I mean, what if Steele and Keegan are legitimate dudes in this rotation going forward? I mean, it's certainly a possibility. I just I, I just kind of struggle to see what the future exactly looks like in Chicago right now, in part because it just feels like they haven't really decided for themselves what that future looks like. I well, think they're trying why to would keep you sign Suzuki but... then? Like, what was the Suzuki signing? Like, what? Well, I, I should. Okay, that's a that's a good point. I'd forgotten about Seiya Suzuki, and I think that yeah. is part of what that future is going to look like. But I think there is still a lot more that needs to happen in Chicago to make that work. Mm. And the truth of it too is, like, sure they can sign Korea next year, and that's great. But if they then don't re-sign Wilson Contreras or go get an equally good catcher somewhere else. Mm. Well, here's the, the bad news. There's no good catchers anywhere. Outside well, that's of, like, I mean, that's, that's, But that's part of the problem yeah. is like, you know, you're you're banking on if you're the Cubs and you're banking on, OK, next year we make a it's a skinny rebuild. We make a hard run toward contention. Yeah, now you're banking on re-signing Wilson Contreras. So you better make the money available for that because he's not going to take a discount just to stay. Right. You know, this is the, this is the one and only chance this guy is going to get to cash in as a premier major league free agent for yeah. at the most 
talent starved position in the major leagues. Like, especially when Billy Bats is going to get sprinkled on that Braves pixie dust of like, here's the contract that you will actually take. And this is not, the, the, uh, yeah. Alex Anopoulos just does continues to do very good work. He's just a very good general manager. It's really just, something unbelievably solid. Like, yeah, just, I mean, yeah. I, I I love the that Austin man Riley turned extension. Sean Newcomb into Rizal Iglesias. That Whatever. to me is the most confusing <laughs> trade of this deadline by far. Well, let's what get into it because the Braves are just doing? fantastic. Yeah. So, all right. So we'll start with the Braves side of things. I like I really liked uh, it wasn't a trade, but I really like the Austin Riley extension. They've got cost control at a reasonable price now on the entire infield minus Dansby Swanson. And like we were talking about yesterday, there's I think there's a good chance that they can bring Swanson back because I don't think Riley's new contract necessarily makes that impossible. I think yeah. it makes it a little tighter, but this is not, you know, this is not a team that had to pick between two guys and say, well, it's got to be this dude. And, we, you know, because Swanson's also not going to get that kind of money. You know, I think he'll get a hundred million dollar deal, but I don't think he's going to be someone where we're going to be seeing something above like 120 or something. That seems I don't really, think it's the really money. Unlikely. I think it's the years. The years. That's also yeah. that's also probably part of it. But even if he walks, you've still got you've got Olsen, Albies, uh, Riley and Acuna all locked up through at least 2030, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Max Fried, who still has not reached the expensive parts of his arbitration years and presumably would also, I would imagine, be willing to talk extension when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a, t- a front office that is very good at player development and very good at player scouting. They've been they've done a fantastic job with the free agents they've added, with the exception of Marcelo Zuna, but eh, you can't win them all. Um, and I think they had a, I think they had a good deadline. I think Oda Rizzi is good, um, is good rotation depth for a team that always could use it, especially with Anderson struggling as badly as he has. And with uh, Mike Soroka still being kind of a question mark at this point as to whether, when he's going to come back. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see it, but you never know. Uh, I think Grossman was a really good addition to platoon with Rosario um, yeah. to kind of pl- patch a little bit of the, the hole in the outfield there. Um, yeah, I, I thought, and I, and getting Iglesias and adding him to that bullpen, going from Will Smith to Rice Iglesias is a massive upgrade. Mm-hmm. And to do that, all they had to do was give up, uh, Tucker Davidson, who's a nice pitching prospect, but nothing, you know, nothing no they're going to miss. Yeah. And a dude in Jesse Chavez, who, like you said, they literally acquired for Sean Newcomb <laughs> earlier in the year. So that, that was a really nice is like of, ninth tour in Atlanta in 2026, yeah. whenever this is like that is. like his third time with the Angels. Like this yeah, dude just, <laughs> this dude has been traded like this is, he's the new Octavio Dotel. He just yeah. can never not be traded. But he's also um, only awesome in Atlanta. Like I, he's fine. Like I'm a Jesse Chavez guy when he's in Atlanta. Anywhere else, it seems like he's not good, but. Yeah, like and now, and now so you have a postseason bullpen of Jansen, Minter, uh, Iglesias, Matzik, McHugh. Matt, McHugh, that's fantastic. That's a that mm. might that's probably the best bullpen we're going to see in the postseason again. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, great deadline Yates for in the fold now too. And the other thing is, I don't. I mean, you you tell me if you feel otherwise. I don't know. I don't know that the Braves are probably ever going to be on on Soto if if only because I don't think the Nationals were going to trade him within the division. Um, I don't think we had the prospect depth. I, I don't think they had the prospects either. Like I said, I think when we talked about, it, I said it would have been like. It would have had to be like a, it starts with Michael Harris or Spencer Strider. Yeah, and you're just not there. doing that. And they're not going to do that. But I don't really feel like the Braves – I think the Braves came into this deadline needing pitching depth, needing some outfield help, needing some bullpen depth. They got all three. I don't think they come out of this deadline really with any you know big outstanding holes unless you – I mean, granted, like you'd like to have seen them do better than Ozuna as the mm. DH. But at the same time, I, I don't really know that that's a problem they can solve because – I don't think they want to eat all the money still left on that contract at this point. Yeah. So 
I think Atlanta did is I think Atlanta did everything they needed to do uh, this deadline. I think they came out of it, especially when you consider the Mets really just didn't do much at all, which is really surprising to me. Um, well, that was the thing. Like, it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that Wilson Contreras was going to end up in New York. Well, because it made the did, most it made the most sense ultimately. I like, wonder I, what happened there. I wa- I'm really curious what ended up happening there. I, I'm guessing this is the Billy Eckler's first um, uh, first trade deadline as GM. And I wonder if he kind of fumbled some of this stuff. Like, I wonder if I this was like kind of an issue. For, yeah. I mean, I, granted, like, I don't hate the moves the Mets made. I like I like the Dan Vogel back to Aaron Ruff DH platoon um, that they're going to have. I think that's a big, big upgrade from uh, J.D. Davis and Dom Smith. I like getting Tyler Naquin to be the new fourth outfielder. He makes a lot of sense um, mm. as the platoon or as a platoon partner guy with not necessarily a platoon, not not a, not a strict platoon, but as a, a good backup for for Starling Marte and for uh, Mark Hanha as well. You know, Michael Gibbons is a perfectly fine middle reliever to add some depth there. But and I mean, the biggest thing for the Mets is going to be how does Jacob Degrom look starting tonight? Can he stay healthy? If he's healthy, you know, we get to make the the always fun joke of their biggest trade deadline addition is the guy they're getting back already. But like. If he's not healthy, that rotation does not look great right now. Mm. And I'm a little surprised that they didn't try to go out and get some more depth there. Similarly, they've had problems with left-handed relief all year long. They really do not have a consistent or reliable lefty in their bullpen. They did not do anything to address that. I don't really get why that didn't come about either. And yeah, catcher has been an enormous problem for them the entire season. It makes me wonder if they are just planning on this point at, of calling up Francisco Alvarez to see if they can just catch lightning in a bottle. I would rather just have Wilson Contreras, to be entirely honest. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little confused as to why the Mets didn't do more, particularly given that the Braves are right on their tail and also went out and did more to make themselves stronger too. So well, it's just that like you want to win a title this year, like this is one of those where you're all in and yeah, like you don't know how many more good years of Max Scherzer you're going to get. Exactly. You like know, it just feels like. The, yeah. Like I, th- this is your window. You got to take yeah. advantage of that window. And Alonso I don't know that the Mets... playing an MVP type level. Like he's just mashing the crap out of the ball. You look at this lineup. I mean, Lindor has been great this year. I don't know. I just feel like this was kind of I'm I'm surprised. Like I'm not mad about it, but I'm surprised they weren't more aggressive. And I am too. Um, they're one of the teams I thought would be more aggressive. The White Sox too. I do not understand them just completely. They just did nothing. They made themselves worse because the only thing they did was go get Jake Diekman. And that dude is an awful reliever. I, I, I really don't get what Chicago is doing ever at all at any times. Also in another situation too, where the, their main competition in the division in Minnesota went and got better. You know, Minnesota went out and added Jorge Lopez is a really nice arm for their bullpen. They went and added Tyler Maley to give themselves some rotation depth. I don't get why Chicago's just sitting on its hands and doing nothing here. I don't you get know what that it is. I can tell you. It's your website's fault, John. Here's who it is. Like, it's your <laughs> fault, keep, John. We keep saying that they're actually going to make the playoffs. Yes, they're, you're they're still. I'm looking at team. it right now. <laughs> it is August 2nd and the Chicago White Sox at 51 and 51 right there in Baltimore Oriole territory have the best playoff odds in the AL Central. Still, it's your website's fault, John. It's Fangraph's fault. That's what's I, happening I here. I really want to hear Tony LaRusso say this is Fangraph's fault. I would not only would I get that put on a T-shirt, I think I would wear it till it literally rotted off of me. Like There you go. Um yeah, I mean, I, I wonder for a lot of the kind of marginal AL playoff teams, I don't know if you call the White Sox marginal, but for those teams that kind of feel like on the fringes, uh, the, the Red Sox, too, I think, are another team where I, I didn't get their deadline at all. 
Mm. I just did not understand it. Like, granted, they got Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer basically for free, but there's a reason they got those guys basically for free, which is that neither of them is particularly any good anymore. Uh, they gave up their starting catcher, which is, seems like an obvious sell move, but then they didn't go ahead and and get and move Nathan Yavaldi or J.D. Martinez either. So I, I don't really understand what the point of moving Vasquez was if you're not going to keep selling, considering you've now made catch the catcher position worse. Really, it just seems like they just kind of shuffled around the margins, despite the fact that they're a pretty messed up team at the point that really needed more significant help if they wanted to remain a contender it just feels like like the Red Sox couldn't choose between being a buyer or a seller and just kind of said, eh, screw it. We'll just, we'll just kind of muddle on toward 500 anyway. Uh, the, the Giants well, question of, for you, John has Bloom been good. Like has Bloom been good in Boston. Like he just has like that, you know, those X rays guys. And it's just, there are certain front office guys where it's just, they get the benefit of the doubt because it's like, Oh, they're smart. They're baseball yeah. guys. They they're smart. They know what they're doing. I, I don't know. If, like, He's been worse than Dombrowski. Like Dombrowski had a like he knew what I he mean, was doing. One, like he followed a plan. One, the one plus you can point to, I think, for Heimblum's tenure is that the farm system in Boston has improved over his time there. Yeah, which is which is it, which is something. Dave Dombrowski left that farm system in very bad shape. Um, Bloom has made it better, but he's he's done it at the cost of really just neglecting the major league roster, and that that's what yeah. I don't really understand is both this deadline. Uh, last off season or the last off season, really the deadline before that, and Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber ended up being more impactful, I think, than probably most people would have predicted. But they they're just not really making the moves you would expect from the Boston Red Sox, a team with a payroll near two hundred million dollars, and you know four World Series titles in the last twenty years, and you know perpetually contenders. Like they just kind of sat this one out, it seems like, and I, I don't really get that because I again, it, it's, it feels like a half measures thing. You're either a contender or you're not. So you either yeah, you don't you like know. sign Trevor Story and then trade Mookie Betts and you do that and then you keep JD Martinez and you move Vasquez. I just don't really know what he's doing. Like it no, and, and I think I think part of the the confusion too is the unresolved status of what's going to happen with Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers. Yeah, I think Bogarts is for Bogarts is for sure opting out, and I think he's for sure a goner because someone is going to give him the money that Boston seemingly has no interest in giving him. Who's paying Devers? Well, the thing is, Devers is still under contract for another uh, through next season, but he's already making. But he's been making noise that he wants a big time contract. Right. I would not be surprised if the uh, if his agents or his representation takes the Austin Riley deal and is like basically that, but more. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that he probably deserves it. He's hmm. a phenomenal hitter. I don't think he's a full, he's a long-term third baseman. I think Riley's probably got him beat there, but he's still a phenomenal, incredible hitter who there's no, it's like with Soto. There's no way you're making the team better by getting rid of him. You know, hmm. you're making your farm system better, but you're not going to make the overall major league team better. And I think that's kind of at the heart of everything that's a bit wrong with Boston right now is that the focus very much seems to be on, we need to make this farm system better. If the team struggles while we're doing that, so be it. But we've got to make this farm system better. We've got to keep this payroll flexibility. We've got to, you know, keep giving chances. We've got to keep throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Kind of the same way the Giants were doing early on with Farhan Zaidi. And I, it, it's funny because I think the Giants had a similar deadline to the Red Sox where it just didn't really feel like there was a plan and more of just like, we'll just kind of see what happens and, you know, put some feelers out. And if nothing comes of it, so be it. But I, I don't really understand that because I think for both teams, like, you're looking up at two of the best, most uh, well-run, 
most and uh, most financially just gargantuan teams in the league and the Yankees and Dodgers, like you got to do a little more than what you, it, it, I think it's, I think you've got to do a little more than just assume you can just re- replicate the Rays formula. It just doesn't work that way. And I think hmm. too, what complicates that even further is that Boston has had a really, really hard time doing the thing, doing the, one of those things that the Rays do best, which is, you know, taking other teams garbage and turning it into, into productive players. They really have struggled with that. And I don't really think that Tommy Pham and Eric Hosmer are going to be any exception on that. You know, those are not guys who really have any upside left at this point. Those are two old veterans uh, past their primes who they're really only here because they're replacing guys who are just completely inadequate for the situation in Bobby Dahlbeck and Jackie Bradley Jr. Like this is their well, so that's Hosmer for being like, uh, hate to break up your superstar trade, but uh, I'm not going well, to yeah, Washington. Yes. Shouts to Eric Hosmer for being like, no, I don't want to go play for a last place bottom feeder team that just dealt at superstar. AJ Preller, you can suck me from behind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is not a family friendly podcast today. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's it's nice of Boston to do AJ Preller a favor and just and take Eric Hosmer. Um, it's nice of <laughs> AJ Preller to do the Red Sox a favor and just eat that entire contract. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think the only op- other option at that point would have been just straight up releasing Hosmer, and this at least gets the Padres a is he gonna be semi- the next Bobby Bonilla like are we getting some Bobby Bonilla stuff from Hosmer does he get a million a year from the Padres for the it's next year it really should be Scherzer right now because that dude's gonna be getting paid by the Nationals until like 2045 like that's true we're gonna we're all gonna be sitting on our ever on our ever shrinking icebergs in the middle of the ever increasing ocean and Max Scherzer is still gonna be cash and checks well hold on 2200 signed sign Ted Lerner uh, we got like a hundred and what 180 years left yeah, um, the new. I, I think, yeah, I, I think there were. I mean, I, I, I like more what, like you know, but I, I, sorry, better said. I think a lot of those marginal playoff teams. I think the the like we saw with the Blue Jays, Merrifield's kind of a wild card. They didn't really do much else beyond that. Uh, the Rays got David Peralta, who fills a need for them, but they didn't really do much beyond that. Surprise! Uh, uh, Iglesias didn't wind up there. I am too. I thought they would add some relief help, but you know they're the Rays and they don't like doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked what Philadelphia did. I think they were probably one of the better kind of uh, fringe contenders that really tried to get themselves better. Uh, David Robertson should help that bullpen. Noah Syndergaard, I am really not looking forward to watching him pitch in front of that Phillies defense. Are they just recreating? Like, remember this guy from the Mets rotation, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard? Let's remember like, some Mets. Yeah. Um, I, I think Brandon Brandon Marsh is a, is a deeply flawed player, but I think he is... Georgia boy. He, He's a way better defender than anyone the Phillies could have ever hoped to put out in center field that they have right now. And he's under team control for another few years. So they still got plenty of time to try to iron out any kinks in his game. Mm. Um, Similarly, I mean, I I, I thought they probably had, I think they had a better deadline, at least on the Cardinals and the Brewers, who, like I said, the Brewers, you can argue, took a step backwards by trading Josh Hader. Um, A lot of that's going to depend on the prospect back, I think, which is the case with Milwaukee. And on what they can get out of t- if they can if they can fix Taylor Rogers, if Matt Bush can keep pitching the way he has when he as he did with Texas, if there's anything left in Denilson Lamette's arm, um, if you know Devin Williams can be the closer that I think the Brewers expect him to be, and I understand that you know last year was Haters next last year under control, the Brewers certainly weren't going to keep him beyond that. They didn't want to pay what it was going to be seventeen or so million dollars for one year of a closer who only pitches sixty or so innings a year. It's I just get weird that. to do that when you're leading the division and making. The yeah, that's, that's my that's the my weird thing. part. Of it. 
it'd be one thing if the Brewers had done that as a 500 team in third place. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to do it when you're leading your division. You have a pretty guaranteed postseason spot. And relievers are so, so, so important in the postseason that, you know, you're, you're making yourself worse in that regard. I, I mean, I, I get it. I get how it makes sense for the Brewers, given how they are run as a team. It just makes less sense given their position. Similarly, I think St. Louis, I, I mean, look, it, it's not fair to Dylan Carlson that he more likely than not is the reason Juan Soto is not in St. Louis right now. Mm. Um, that that was the player that seemingly that they got hung up on moving. And I can understand why they, you know, they probably did not feel like they had any reasonable um, either outfield depth or center field possibilities without Carlson in the fold, given that Bader was still hurt. I don't know though, man, like it's an, uh, it's a chance to go get Juan Soto. Who cares about Dylan Carlson? This is not a, this is not a two month rental either. You're going to have, you're going to have Soto for the next two and a half years. Like, I, I don't know, man. And like, they, they did what they had to do because they went and got two starters and Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery who should be able to help them and at least give them innings, which is what they need now more than anything. But I, I really do wonder if they're going to look back on that on that potential Soto trade and wish they'd just gone through with it. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe, their pack, maybe the package they were offering overall wasn't as good as San Diego's anyway, but it, it, it really does feel like St. Louis had a huge chance both to establish itself as a division favorite and establish itself as a realistic World Series contender, and they just didn't take it. And it's, it's a little say, confusing. Hey, as John, some might say... What's coming here? Some might say they will come to regret not taking the shot. Is that a vaccination thing? Because, <laughs> I mean, I made the Whit Merrifield joke already for the for the Blue Jays. That's, I mean, yeah. that's the funniest thing to me about all of that, is that, like, is that dude actually going to get vaccinated? Because he seemed pretty adamant about not doing it. I'm guessing he's going to because someone will offer him an incentive, read money. Well, also, I think you have to have that ironed out if you're going to make. Yeah, I mean, I I have to be a conversation before that. I have to imagine they contacted his agent and was like, he's going to get the shot. Right. And he's like, of course, he's going to get the shot. He's playing for a playoff team. Well, also, what we've heard now, the new thing is just that, like, they all are getting it. And it's just like a business decision. And they're like, well, we regret it. We we would prefer not to have done that. But um, that it's just with, with. uh, it's weird. The but, galaxy brain stuff of where we're at. And yeah, that, it's whatever. It's, it's beyond me. But um, um, yeah, I, I yeah, I find the NL Central. I mean, the NL Central as a whole just didn't really do anything today. They're just a waste of time. I, I'm sorry to our Brewers and Cardinals listeners, but I mean, you're not winning the NL. Like it's just not happening. Like they neither of these two teams are built to uh, no, run the NL no, gauntlet. No, no, no. no I mean, have. I think like Soto in St. Louis could have done it. I mean. Uh, I think the Brewers, like if the Brewers had traded for Otani, that would have been one of the more hilarious I mean, I, things. They yeah. were, I mean, they're they're never going to make a move for a guy like Soto or Otani because that would require a financial commitment from them that they're just never going to make. Well, you wouldn't have to because, like you're saying, like we would give up a lot for Otani for a year and a half. Like we, like, we're not I, paying I, you for that. I, I'm surprised there wasn't more of a push for a guy like Brandon Drury. Yeah, you know, or um, uh, someone else along. I mean, I don't. I think they probably could have beat that offer for Whit Merrifield if they really felt like it. Mm. I'm, I'm a little confused as to why they didn't do or that. Or just like call I, Detroit about Javier Baez. Be like, hey, uh, new place for Javier. Like, what uh, what's going on here? Well, I'm, I'm surprised they weren't the change of scenery candidate for Joey Gallo. I thought he would have made True. a lot of sense there. Instead, he goes to Los Angeles where he and Cody Bellinger are just going to be the same guy together all well, the speaking time. Speaking of, we can end on that. So shout out to our guy, Joey Gallo, who had that great Q&A. Um, I don't know if you saw that, but like that dude went through hell. Yeah, he and- needed to get out of New York so badly. And it's it's a shame because that was I, I, I thought it was a good trade at the time. I still think it was a good trade. 
Gallows yeah, we have to stop doing player. that, John. We like as a, like people listening, stop doing this thing where like it was a good thing at the time, and just because it did not work out that way doesn't mean we have to rewrite yeah, the, history. The, the, yeah. the sound, the process was sound. Yes. It just didn't work. Some guys mm-hmm. just don't work in certain places. I mean, I think if you're if you're a Dodgers fan and you can you know and you're worried about Gallo, yeah, the the, the quality of contact he's making is not the same as it was in his Texas years. I think there's a genuine question as to whether he has enough, uh, whether there is good enough contact to mitigate all the strikeouts. But the Dodgers don't need him to be a star. They just need him to be somewhat useful. I am a little surprised they didn't really do much more. Moving Mitch White I find kind of interesting because they're already, I mean, they already have some pitching depth issues given that Walker Bueller is hurt, given that Andrew Haney is no one's no one's idea of, uh, of a guy with perfect health. Um, a little surprised they didn't add to their rotation depth in any meaningful way. A little surprised they didn't really add to the bullpen in any meaningful way. But that's also probably still the best team in baseball right now. And I have to imagine there's probably a feeling there that's like, look, like if we can't win with what we've already got, you know, then we're not. Then it wasn't going to happen regardless. Like, and and I and I can understand that. And I can also imagine too that there's given that they have a fair amount of 40-man roster stuff to figure out this offseason, given that they will have to decide whether or not they want to make uh, an offer for Trey Turner in the offseason, whether or not they want to keep him around for what is almost certainly going to be a, a minimum of $200, $250 million contract. Um, you know, given that, you know, they, there are questions now about what Bueller, how Bueller's arm will hold up going forward. I mean, at the same time, this is a team that has just a never-ending flow of prospects and really, really good ones at that. So, you know, th- I don't think this is a situation like last year where it was like, you know, well, no, we need we need the shortstop help. We need the extra starter. It's like I, I think the Dodgers could be forgiven for taking this deadline off a little bit. I am just a little surprised, especially in the wake of not getting Soto and in, especially with the Padres getting Soto, that they didn't push a little harder to get something more done. But I, mean, I guess ultimately, though, for me, I... I came into the deadline thinking that the best teams or the the most realistic World Series contenders were the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers, and the Braves. And I don't think anything has changed for any of those four to move them out of that group. I think the only real change post-deadline is that the Padres are closer now to that group. Mm. But they're still the, the complicating factor for them is still that they're not they're you know they're almost certainly not going to win the division, which means they're going to have to go into the going to have to go into the postseason a wild card, which obviously impacts their World Series chances. But yeah, I, I think the overall state of the league in terms of who the real World Series contenders are didn't change. You know, I think it's still the same four teams in L.A., Atlanta. They're just more beefed up. Like they're, just they're all beefed. just more beefed up. I think the, the question now is it, the questions also are similar before. It's like who's going to win the Central in each division. And which of the wild card teams looks like it's going to be the strongest coming into the postseason versus the wild card teams that are just more or less kind of there. Hmm. And I think we, if, and if we also got to figure out who the Twins lose to in the first round. Well, it'll be the Yankees. Of, in, in, well, I guess they wouldn't play the Yankees in the first. That's round. That's what I'm saying. We got to get no the Yankees. Joe Biden Minnesota <laughs> clip. <laughs> Poor Minnesota fans. It's like yeah. a, they know. I, they had a deadline though they had a very good deadline i think they i i think they've strengthened themselves to be i think they've put or set them do this john rather. they're they're not doing this the twins are not getting through the al it's no no not. no I, not to win the pennant no just you just love byron buxton you want great things for that I, man i want nothing but happiness for my boy byron buxton but i do mm-hmm. feel like if you you know i do feel like with the deadline pass i think the twins should be the favorite in that division now not according to your website john taylor Fangraph.com. They love them some Chicago White Sox. 
we got to tell Tony LaRusse about this, that the computers actually really like the White Sox just to see what just to see what weird noise he makes in response, <laughs> assuming he hasn't fallen asleep in the process of you asking the question. That's how we have to end that. What a great yeah. line to wrap up but here. Tony LaRusse snoozing. John Taylor, we can check out all the great uh, trade deadline uh, re- re- reactions, pieces, analysis over on Fangraphs.com. All of it. We have, yeah. we have pieces up for we're going to have pieces up for every major trade, including separate prospect analysis for the big ones done by Eric Longenhagen, our uh, our foremost prospect guy. We're going to have winners and losers stuff. We're going to have new projections. Obviously, all the tools that exist on the website. Um, you know, our, our prospect board, our rest of season projections, our roster resource, transaction tracker and depth chart stuff, all going to be updated uh, through the deadline. We're going to be publishing pieces all through the night and into tomorrow as well. Obviously, we'll have plenty of reaction uh, over the rest of the week as to how things now line up. So, yeah, we're, we're we're still doing our cool thing. Come check out our cool trade deadline stuff. And then we don't have to pay attention to baseball again until October. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's exactly it. Right, John Taylor? No, but also that is part of, like, unless it's your team it's where you're like... That's really part of the problem. Ba- yeah. Baseball has a similar problem to the NBA where the last two months of the season don't really mean anything. Yeah. But it Except does to the teams. Purposes. No, but it does to the te- fans of those teams. Like, they're still going to watch. Like, Orioles fans are still going to watch these games. I mean, hey, the we're, Rockies. Yeah. we're going to get a great Braves-Mets um, yes. battle. Play, like, 93 more times. Yeah, like five times I think the coming this week. It's, yes, it's going to be real fun. They're going to be. There's still going to be some good battles out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I, maybe that's the ultimate way to look at the deadline. Is a lot of big stuff happen, but I ultimately don't think that the existing kind of power tiers or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. really got shaken up all that much. I, I think the the best teams coming into the deadline remain the best teams after the deadline, and San Diego I think is the San Diego and. Mm, yeah, I think just San Diego and Minnesota, I think, are probably the two kind of next tier teams that probably did the most to improve themselves. Hmm. But I, I don't think that makes either of them necessarily. I, I don't think either of them's World Series favorites. And I don't think it necessarily uh, means that, you know, the the rest of the, the, the super contenders, so to speak, should be looking over their shoulder in fear or anything. Except for maybe the Dodgers with the Padres eventually, because who boy, who that is going to be so much fun to watch those two teams play each other. There you go. John Taylor, find you on Twitter, J.A. Taylor, all that good stuff. And uh, you do not uh, lose your mind with the editing over the next 24 hours with everything. Oh, I, I, I am already well past that point. There this, you is, go. this is deadline number eight for me, I think, in as a professional baseball media person. And they never get any easier. <laughs> no, probably They're not. Just, it's just the longest day, but it's, it's, a day, it's a day of fun, though. Hey, John. It's Miller time. It's Miller time. All right, y'all, that'll do it for the Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with John, talking all things Major League Baseball trade deadline. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. So if you can do that, we would greatly appreciate it here over at the Chase Most Podcast, part of blue wire pods uh don't forget folks you can check us out on youtube uh, on youtube.com slash chase podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff over there um but yeah jam-packed show for you guys tomorrow so watch out for that here on the program and uh you have yourself a great wednesday and i will talk to y'all tomorrow uncle derek how'd i do
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.